Welcome to the PE Podcast. So welcome everybody, my name is Mark Carter, I work for the Football Association's PE unit. We are a team of ex-teachers who work with coaches, teachers, schools and universities to help improve PE for children. And I also run a children's futsal programme called Ministry of Football, which works with about 100 families in North London um, with the aim of helping develop physically able and confident children. My passion is play, in particular the joy and connection that happen when people come together to play and move. This is my first podcast, so welcome, um, and it gives me a great pleasure to welcome and introduce Carl Beckford from Canterbury School. Welcome, Carl. Afternoon, Mark. How are you doing? I am very well, thank you. Uh, I've got lots of interesting questions to ask you, Carl, so, uh, but I'd like to start um, by really just for you to describe what you do in primary school PE at the moment. So at the moment, I have my um, own organisation called Team Kickstart. Uh, we've been going since 2011 and really we're a school support body. Um, we deliver PE lessons, we cover teachers' PPA time, um, we deliver educational workshops. I'm also a trained therapist, so um, we work with vulnerable children who are having difficult times at home and at school, just trying to really help them find their way. Um, we've got some educational workshops, one on African history, uh, one on healthy eating, one on anti-racism. Um, again, we've been going since 2011 and we're really um, changed and developed what we're, what we're doing year on year. Um, I'm a person who likes, to, who likes to grow and who loves to see children thrive and however we can help them, I, I do my best to do so. Brilliant. Sounds like a really interesting journey. Um, can you tell me a bit more about the PE in particular? Well, we've been in Canterbury since 2012, so the bulk of our work... Um, has been at Canterbury and we've been able to sort of develop a culture at Canterbury which I believe is, is important and um, with the work I do in other schools they might have um, people who are delivering quality PE lessons but creating a culture takes time and often with the changes that go on in primary schools that, that culture um, can, can, can move about and it can get better and it can, it can get worse with different PE coordinators and people seeing things slightly different. Whereas it's really been, been my vision alongside um, the PE coordinator, Tanisha, um, and the head teacher, Patrick, who is very, very supportive. My organisation delivers um, the PE lessons. We cover teachers' PPA time. Um, we also work alongside the teachers, which is a new thing that's just started this year. We work alongside the um, teachers in order to um, bring them to as close to the level of the PE lessons that we are delivering. Um, it's myself, Hayden and Otis who deliver the PE lessons, um, so there's three of us here. Um, and I think that education is the, is the only industry that doesn't ask the end users what they want. Does that make sense? So the end users being the children? Being the children. Yeah, okay. So we try to involve what the children like to do as much as we possibly can whilst yeah. keeping it structured. Yeah, yeah, okay. So there's, there's, uh, there's so many questions that come out I've been jotting down as you talk. So um, something you mentioned earlier about um, a culture and vision. So you, you, you talked a bit about culture of PE at Canterbury. Can you tell me a bit more about what that is for you? I think first and foremost, the culture starts from having a good relationship with the children um, and 
a lot of the time that relationship is built outside of the PE lesson. Um, so we do after school clubs here, we do breakfast clubs here, we also work with the children during lunchtime and those are the times where you can actually really get to know the children outside of wanting to gain something from them. And when I say gain something from them, I mean within your PE lesson you have a lesson objective and you're always trying to reach that objective and bring the children from one place to another. But during playtimes, during lunchtimes, it's really their time. Um, where they can come up and sit down and speak to you and you can tell them your life story and you can ask them some questions. So I think relationship is key in terms of um, bringing the best out of the children. Um, can we go back to exactly what the question was? Culture. So <laughs> relationship is key for me in terms of creating a culture. And once you have that level relationship with the children um, and you've got the leverage, really you can help the children to, to, to develop themselves in ways that they never thought that they could. And I say that because at Kangaroo Primary School, we have um, inter-house competitions during playtime, we have inter-house competitions during lunchtime, um, and the amount of children who want to participate in those activities is, is unquestionably the, the highest I've seen in any schools mm -hmm. that I've been in, sure. involved in. And I think that's partly because the children at Canterbury are, are, are quite sporty, but it's also because of the culture that we've mm. been able to create yeah. since 2012. I think just to, to, to emphasise how, how, how important your relationship is with the children who are in your class um, and understanding that each child is an individual and they should not be treated exactly the same, um, whether that's they have a different culture, whether they enjoy different things, whether um, they live with two mums, whether they live with two dads, whether their mum and dad are split up. I believe that as a class teacher, as a PE teacher, I should know these things. Um, without digging too deep into someone's personal life, it's going to help you and it's going to be beneficial to you if you understand these things and you know what makes this child tick. You know that... Um, this child enjoys playing football but they hate playing they hate playing netball you know that this child likes playing computer games but this child hates playing computer games these are just little conversation conversation starters that gives you leverage and will enable you to get the best out of your children in whatever it is your teacher whether that's maths whether that's english mm. um whether that's pe um but the class the class teacher would know that kind of stuff right i would i would i would hope so yeah i, I would hope so um but, but a private coach coming in wouldn't normally. And I think that's what makes mm, you a bit different. Because mm, yeah. most private coaches, I reckon if I ask them about the kind of things you talked about, I wonder whether they have the opportunity to find those things out. And that might not necessarily be their fault. No, no, I'm not saying it's just yeah. it is. I think the schools bring them in to provide a service, yeah. which is do this PE lesson. Yeah, for sure. Uh, exactly that. It's probably not their fault at all. They just but, don't get the opportunity. But you as... The, the school or you as the head teacher or you as the PE coordinator you have the right to um, expect an amazing service from these PE providers and best as you can try and have the same one or two people who come into your schools and who deliver the PE lessons mm. they're the same people who deliver the after school clubs mm. they're the same people who deliver the lunchtime clubs and then you can create real relationships with the children yeah. which is going to get the most and the best out of your out of your children yeah so I mean I suppose here you're kind of almost a fixture aren't you you're, you're in the staff room you know mm -hmm. all of the staff you, you are pretty much yeah. a staff member yeah. yeah but I think you know some schools and I guess I guess it's a maturity thing as well because a lot of the coaches that come and do this yeah. kind of work are 19 year olds who maybe 
haven't quite got the confidence to walk around yeah. the school and have those conversations with the teachers. But then there's someone in that organisation. I've got a 19-year-old who works for me. I've got an 18-year-old who works for me, a 19-year-old who works for me. Hayden's 24. Otis, who's just started working for me, is 21, just out of university. They might not. They might not have the same skills that I have. They haven't got the same life experience that I have. But me, as the lead, as the head of that company, I also have a role not only to. Um, help them financially by giving them as much work as I possibly can but I have a role to help them grow as a person um, and to give them those skills um, and to let them know that actually it's going to be beneficial for you if you know everybody in the school and if you're kind and you're polite to everybody um, the same thing you're trying to do with the children is the same thing you should be trying to do with, with your coaches you have a, a, a role in their life um, and often they're going to look up to you and how you treat them is going to is going to stand them in, in, mm. in good stead or it's going to stand them in bad stead. Well, the fact that you've had Hayden for must be five years, something like that, is that right? Because it was 2013. Yeah, he's yeah, been okay, working so, since yeah. 2013. Yeah, so, I, so was, I don't pay him. He can go out and get a higher earning job. He can go out and, and, and perhaps get a... He loves football. He can perhaps go out and get a role just in football. But I think that he understands um, the level of care and the level of love that I have for him, um, mm. which makes him stay here. And he knows that this is being with Team Kickstart is the best place is the best place for him not only as a coach um, as a PE teacher but as a person yeah yeah it comes back to those relationships doesn't it if you if you could summarise what what it is that you bring to the school it's, it's all about that connection isn't it it's connection relationships and, and it's and, and that comes from care and I, I said this the last time the last time you were here um, the reason why we love our parents so much is because they love us first and I think that's the same with anybody who you come in contact with. And it doesn't have to be love. It has to be, it can be care, it can be time. Um, if you give someone time first, then mm. they almost feel indebted to give you that time back. Let's talk a little bit about Canterbury because there'll be, hopefully, if the technology works, people will be listening to this podcast at some point <laughs> and they won't know much about Canterbury. So the context is we are, do you want to, it's your school, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Um, Canterbury is a, is a primary school, a two-form entry primary school that is in the heart of Islington and it's really the school, a school of the haves and have-nots. If you know anything about the Islington borough, there are some very wealthy families here and there are some, some, some families who don't have anything and Canterbury really um, is the epitome of that. Um, so we have a group of children here who, um, who aspire to be the best that they can possibly be, um, who have parents who are authors, film directors, um, etc. But we also have families here of um, parents who perhaps um, are struggling to find work. Um, so trying to get the balance right between pushing children um, as, as far as as far as I believe they can go is is my main challenge. Um, it's a family school. Um, if you come to the school um, at the end of the school day, you will see parents who are in the playground till 4, 4.30, sitting down, talking, um, liaising with, with one another. Um, but you will also see some children who um, walk home by themselves and their parents don't come and pick them up. Um, we've got a group of teachers here who, are, who have been here for quite long. We have some teachers who have worked here for 20, 25 years. Um, just the last year, we had about four or five of them who have left. Um, we've got some new, new, new teachers in who have jumped on board and who are doing who are doing great things. Um, we have a head teacher who's been here for four years who loves sport. His passion is music, but he loves sport, and he, he really gives myself and Tanisha um, free reign. 
Um, so we have a group of teachers here who are very supportive. We have a group of children here who, um, who come from wealthy families. And we also have a group of children here who, who basically come from nothing. Okay, that's, that's good because that leads me on to a little story about um, that, that I wanted to, I think maybe I shared with you before. Um, Canterbury is part of a network of schools called the Future Zone Network. Um, and that network consists now of 16 primaries and three secondary schools in Islington. And it was set up um, many years ago and it's got quite established programmes for literacy and numeracy work together. And when the government gave the PE and sports money directly to schools, it decided it needed a PE network as well. Um, first and foremost, to sort of decide how to maybe spend that money and what will look like good investment. Um, we had a meeting here at your school uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year. And I remember at the end of the meeting, um, the other the other PE leads from the other schools disappeared, um, and you and I arranged to wait in the classroom. Yeah. And I waited for sort of ten minutes, and, and you disappeared somewhere, and you didn't come back. And I was like, oh, well, maybe maybe Carl's busy. So. And as I was leaving the school, I found you in the playground, um, and you were talking to a parent at the school gate, whose child was, I, I think if I remember correctly, perhaps overweight or not eating very well, and so you were intervening with that parent to sort of discuss that issue, mm -hmm. and I was just really impressed because it's always been something for me that's been a difficult one in terms of whose responsibility is it yeah. to pick up these children who clearly not healthy, either, either clearly from their weight and their, and their behaviours, um, eating, nutrition, things like that, or, or maybe just not healthy because you know what their home life is like. Yeah. And I don't think that class teachers necessarily have the time or the urge to do that anymore, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And what I was really impressed with is you have someone at this school who's doing that. So can, so can you tell me a little bit more about that relationship you have with the parents? Because you've, you've talked about how you work at home with some of the children. Um, you've talked about your background as a therapist and so what I want to get at is how, that's, how that works here. I think that's a, that's, that's a really good question to, to, to start with and if I was to sit down and, and, and try to give someone a structure of how to do this I'm not sure I could actually, I could actually do it um, but it comes from um, investing in the children first and foremost um, also, you can't just go up to a parent and start talking about something like that. That's a, it's a touchy subject. And ultimately, what you're doing is you're actually questioning someone's parenting. Mm -hmm. um, but if done in the right way, um, and it comes from good intent, then it's, it's powerful. So how I would approach a conversation like that would, would be... Um, it, it, it kind of goes in two different ways. How well do I actually know the parent? How many times have I engaged with this parent? Um, and also, how unhealthy, how overweight is the child? Um, if it's something that I believe can be done in, in passing, in a nice, polite, conversational way, then um, that's the way that I'll prefer to do it. If I believe that it needs a phone call home and, and, and a meeting within the school, um, then that's another way to do it, which is probably more of a way that schools would do it in a more of a professional way but I, I think that there's now I'm, I come from a football background and I didn't used to like it when my managers would call me in the office to have a chat I used to like it when my manager would put his arm around me and talk to me about things yeah. in that way so I think having a conversation as an adult level is, is, is always the mm. best way to do it mm. but it, it, it's something that you have to create we spoke about culture it's something that you have to create you can't just go in and start talking about um, yeah. people so how do, you, how do you build those relationships because I think most people who are doing sort of PPA cover 
coaching, a, a very typical model for, for a lot of schools is you get a coaching company in, they, they literally in the playground, they mm-hmm. get delivered the children, 40 minutes later, someone takes the children away, yeah. and then off they go, kind of, you know, might do three or four lessons like that in the day. How, how have you moved from that to having those relationships mm-hmm. with the parents? I'm not knocking the way anybody, anybody delivers their PE lessons or how much time anybody wants to spend at work, but me, myself, I actually really love being around children. I really enjoy coaching children. Um, With my counselling background, I really enjoy sitting down and speaking to people too. Um, So again, it's a little bit like what I spoke about previously in terms of um, during your time, really going out of your way to have conversations. Um, So staying behind, as I spoke about, Canterbury is a school where um, parents will be out in the playground till 4.15, 4.30, sometimes sitting down and watching clubs, um, sometimes just sitting down and talking. So going, showing your face, speaking to parents, how was your day? Um, Just normal conversation skills but in the busy life of a primary school teacher sometimes that's quite difficult Mm. Um, but me myself I'm a people's person I I enjoy sitting down and speaking with people so just creating relationships is the key for me in terms of delivering amazing PE lessons but also having difficult conversations Um, so it's about time investing time and the parents here know how much I actually care about the children as long as your intent is pure and your intent is good then I think people will kind of give you that time to have any conversation that you want And, and I suppose that leading on from that really I'm really interested in like so you've got you built those relationships so that you can have those difficult conversations mm-hmm. how, how do you judge the success of that then so let's say you have those conversations about that child um, what's what does success look like maybe you bring it to the parents attention perhaps they know already mm-hmm. I mean what, what does success look like from there some children eat unhealthy because their their parents feel like they haven't got enough money to feed their children nutritious food and healthy food. Um, so a lot of the time, it's well, no time can you speak to the child about what they're eating because they don't cook the meals. So the conversation has to be had with the parent. Um, and we learn how to, I believe that we learn how to eat from our parents. So it's almost like a generational thing where it's been passed down and passed down. So if you can educate the parent and you can give them some, some tips on, on how to eat healthy, then that's going to be passed down to their, to their children. So your question was, how do you see um, the benefits within the child? Mm. I think the first point of contact would be to have, a, to have the conversation with the parent in terms of how much their child enjoys sport and how happy I see their children once they're taking part, whilst they're taking part in our PE lessons. Mm. And then you can say, but their weight is, is an issue. It's, all, it's stopping them from being able to enjoy the sport, the PE, right. the after school so, club. Okay, so you, you've got like. way into that conversation because you're teaching them a subject yeah. that you can talk about. So in many ways, what you're doing, a class teacher... PE may not do and a, and a PPA cover kind of coach typical traditional sort of coach mm-hmm. might not do is you're, you're broadening the remit for PE away from just skill learning you've talked a lot about enjoyment mm-hmm. and relationships but also into just being healthy and understanding what that looks like yeah. which I think is for me is really important and obviously it is for you so um, if you could define then just going from that to a bit of a big question here but um what would you consider high quality PE to look like? If you could define it for you, what, what would be included within that definition? In order to answer that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak about something else. But somewhere along the line, when people reach 18, 19, 20, we stop playing and we start going to the gym and it becomes work. Oh, I've got to go to the gym today. 
But if you look outside in the, um, in the playground when children are playing, it's basically their version of the gym. They're running around, they're jumping, they're climbing, they're having fun. Um, again, somewhere along the line, that changes from play to work. So I think a good quality PE provision um, gives children the fundamental skills and the enjoyment to carry that play on for the rest of their life. Um, I, read a, I read a stat that said only 5% of people by the age of 25 are involved in team sports. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, 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 that's incredible. And I think that that happens because um, a lot of team sports is the emphasis is placed on competition and winning and a lot of the time that t- I'm the most competitive person that I know. I've heard that yeah, from exactly. people who have been in school, school sport competitions. I hear your name every so often and people are cursing it afterwards like, how exactly. competitive is he on exactly. the side? I we could talk about it at some point. <laughs> we definitely will. We could do a little therapy session of our own. So I'm not saying that competitive sport, there isn't a place for it, but it's about, it's, it's about understanding what we're at, what you're actually trying to deliver when you're delivering a PE lesson, and enjoyment for me comes first, learning comes second, and that's only something that I'm confident in saying now. Five years ago, I, I wouldn't have said that because I have a lesson objective and I need to make sure I, I, I get the children from one place to another. But if the children aren't enjoying that lesson, then you're just creating unhealthy patterns in their life. So creating healthy patterns um, and healthy thoughts and healthy feelings about PE is for me. It's a bit of an airy-fairy answer, but for me, it's, it's what is high-quality PE in primary schools. Yeah, okay, good. I like it. Okay, so um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Future Zone and my work there, which will lead me into a, a discussion about your, your actual PE lessons. So um, when I started my, my role as the director of the Future Zone PE Network, um, the schools didn't really know much about what was happening in PE at that stage. So my initial remit was to go and spend a week in every school mm-hmm. as a fly on the wall, watching all the PE lessons I could, all the lunchtime, preschool, after school clubs. I went on swimming trips. I went on days out in one school. I went on a competition to a netball tournament in another school. Um, I watched all the break times, all the play times. And it was obvious after a couple of weeks in different schools that I had to have some kind of data to back up what I was seeing because otherwise it was very subjective. Yeah. I could go and say to the head teacher, I think your PE is great. I own someone else. I don't think it's so good. Mm-hmm. But that's all value-based. So what I wanted to do with my statistician background as well is to start measuring things. So we measured things like uh, what was happening in PE lessons, um, just so I could provide some data. One, one of the other things that you've already talked about, actually, is was we surveyed the children. And it was a simple one-pager for all the key stage two children in the school. And the first question was, um, what do you think of PE? And there was five boxes. The first one said, I love it. Then it was, I like it. I think it's okay. I don't like it. And I hate it. And they were just tick one box, and I can collect all the data together. And with that, what we were able to do at Future Zone level, we had... Um, about 1,500 different surveys come back. And we were able then to look, what's the difference between different demographic groups? Is there a difference between ages? Is there a difference between schools? And Canterbury was one of the last ones that I audited. So the previous schools to that, boys' enjoyment was always higher than girls Mm -hmm. in every school, which which meets what we know from the research at national level, which sort of says in Key Stage 2, girls' perceptions generally start differing from boys and their Mm -hmm. enjoyment might be less. 
I got to Canterbury and I put all the data in and it came out that girls' enjoyment was higher than boys and I was, I was like, I must have got that wrong. So I went mm-hmm. back and did it again. But it was actually the correct answer. And um, so the, the group actually that enjoys PE most out of everyone in uh, Future Zone is girls at your school. Which is really, really um, powerful statistic. Mm-hmm. And that, that makes me that makes me smile that you say that. Yeah, well, and it should do. But I suppose my question to you then is, what are you doing differently here? That was my question to myself afterwards. I was like, why? I mean, I've been to see your lesson, so I've got an idea of what mm-hmm. I think is going on. Mm-hmm. But I'd like you to describe a little bit about why you think that might be happening here. I think when I first came here in 2012, there was a um, the deputy head called um, Diane. She really wanted to start. Um, a, a girls' football club. So, just like you do in every in, in every other school, you speak to the person who who is in charge of after school clubs. Um, you say we want to start a girls' after school club. Say, okay, we'll send letters out and we'll, we'll see what comes back. So, letters went out and four children um, signed up to come to a girls' football club. And I was thinking, wow, this was really my first real experience of being in a primary school. I was like, wow, four children. Um, what am I going to do with four children? So I said, you know what, we actually can't run this girls' football club now, but if you give us a month or two and we come back to, um, at the start of next term, which I believe was just after Christmas, um, give us that time to offer our services for free during playtimes and during lunchtimes where we can really focus on girls' sport. And I would hope that um, we could make an impact and we can bring that number, at least double that number, maybe triple that number. Um, so we done that. We really focused on on, on, on girls' sport. We looked at what there is to offer outside of, of of the school time for girls. And to be quite honest, there's there's not a lot. Do you mean in after school clubs, or do you mean in private clubs around the area? private clubs okay. around yeah. around the area? All after school clubs at, at schools are open to, to to boys and girls. Yeah. But society tells boys that it's okay for you to play sport. And society somewhere along the line tells girls that you probably should be doing something different right. with your time. Okay. Um, and I'm not here to, to, to try and change that, but that's, for me, that, that's fact. Um, so what I've what I done is, during playtimes and during lunchtimes, we just focused on a girls' netball club, which was free of charge. And it was literally going round class to class, come and play netball, come upstairs and play netball, come upstairs and play netball. It might not, they might not have come the first time, but if you keep bugging people, they're going to they're gonna come back. Um, and once you actually, I believe that once I actually get the children here, I'm going to make it enjoyable. As I said before, I especially within uh, my playtimes and my lunchtimes. My desire isn't to move the children from A to B. My desire is to help the children to enjoy the sport. And I believe the more you play, the better you're going to get. It started off just girls, football. But then we really branched out and we, we tried as hard as we possibly can to ensure that the girls were enjoying sport just as much as the boys. And not only enjoying it, they had as much opportunity to actually play mm. Yeah, just as yeah. much as the boys do. So, but but then when you did your let's say your girls' football club at the beginning, then was it? Did you do the same thing for as the boys' football club? It's just for girls. Was it the same, or, or did you think, or, or did you try different things? Um, what happened? I don't think that you, you you don't treat any one person the same as the same as another. Um, I think that girls are looking for different things in sport than than, than boys are looking in sports generally. Um, so again, the same with boys and girls. The level, the the, um, the the main thing I'm trying to get out of the lesson is to help the children to enjoy their sport first. But with the girls, um, it's just giving them a little bit more care, um, praising which I which I do now across the board. But back then, praising the effort rather than rather than the ability of the child at that time because 
if you put a boy who's seven, who's been playing football since he's four, against a boy who's been playing, who's just started football, generally the boy who's four is going to be a little bit better. Mm. And that's just the same with girls. Girls haven't been um, encouraged to play sport. So it's only natural that they're possibly not going to be at the same level as, as the boy. But if you give them time, if you look at some of our girl footballers now in year six, and I, 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 I'm not going to say the girl's name, but she's just been signed for Arsenal. She's better than all the boys. She played in all, all the boys' tournaments and she was our best player. And that's just because she's been given the opportunity to play mm. the sport. Mm. She's been given the freedom to love the sport. Mm. So I think that whatever lesson you're teaching, you're looking at the audience that you have. And mm. if the audience that you have are not people who really, really love sport at that moment of time, then you have to teach them and coach them a little bit yeah. different. Yeah, okay. Okay, so yeah, um, so that, that brings me, it just reminded me of um, a piece of work I did during the audit process where I was spending this week in, week in each school. And one of the schools, um, before coming to Canterbury actually, one of the schools I got these um, survey results back and it was the opposite of Canterbury, so it was the biggest gap between mm-hmm. the boys and the girls. So we had a group of girls who were really quite low down on the enjoyment level. Mm-hmm. So um, I asked the year five and six teachers, uh, can you identify for me two or three children from your class who you know, girls, who aren't engaged in PE lessons and sport, are possibly overweight, don't move so much, don't enjoy that so much? And the idea was to bring them in and do like a focus group discussion, mm-hmm. um, get them talking about their experiences with a, with a view to try and understand how we could make this better for them. Yeah. Yeah? And I was expecting to have the kind of conversation where I was sort of saying, trying to almost sell PE to them, mm. you know? But it wasn't like that at all because I started off asking them about their experiences and saying, you know, why don't you want to do PE? It was something like that, something really, a silly first yeah. question like that. And they all said, looked around and they, I think one of the brave ones said, but I do want to do PE. Mm. And then a few of the others were like, yeah, I want to do PE as well. It's just that I don't want to do the kind of PE that we're getting offered at the moment. Yeah. And that was like a bit of a, all my other questions were out the window at that stage. I was like, oh, right, okay. Um, so why not? Mm-hmm. And they kept talking about fun. That was the big word they kept coming back to. You know, it's got to be fun. It's got to be fun. Um, <clears throat> I remember writing fun loads of times in my notes when I was writing <laughs> it. But then I was like, I was about to let them sort of go, thinking that's brilliant that they've opened up by that. But then I was like, well... How do I go back to the, the coaches and teachers in the school and just say it needs to be more fun? What does that mean? So I started then changing the question around and I said, what isn't fun about PE? Yeah. And I got some gold dust back. Yeah. It was like, it's not fun when people don't take turns. Mm-hmm. It's not fun when people don't share equipment. Yeah. It's not fun when certain people dominate. It's not fun when the teacher doesn't let us choose our own teams, mm-hmm. play with our friends, make our own rules up, yeah. show what we can do. It's not fun when... Uh, people get pushed over and they don't say sorry. It's not fun when people don't say please and thank you. It's not mm. fun when everyone who demonstrates is always the boys. It's not fun when it's all ga- games and the boys are better. Yeah. You know, and this kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, that makes sense. So um, given that, it sounds to me like in your PE lessons, you're probably getting that bit of it right. I think, well, in the majority of sports, in, in, in my PE lessons, the girls will play by themselves and the boys will play by themselves. And that's because of some of the things that you mentioned um, with, with previously in terms of we don't like it when people dominate, we don't like it when people don't take turns. Um, generally in a class of, of, of 30 children you have five or six people who are, who are above everybody else, generally they're boys, um, um, generally they want to be on the same team if they're going to pick their own teams and generally they'll dominate the game. So it's also about having little conversations with those children 
to help them to understand that not everybody is on their level and we have to treat everybody with care and take time. And also, you helping them is, benef- is beneficial to you because you're going to enjoy the sport a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, there's sports like netball where I bring boys and girls together because um, netball is, 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 is a team game where you have to pass the ball. There is no other alternative. You can't run with the ball, you have to pass. Um, but if we're doing uh, if we're doing a football lesson, athletics is another one where, of course, you you bring the boys and girls together. But the majority of invasion games, the boys will work separately from the girls, and that for me was a, a key moment where the girls started to enjoy PE so much more. And that was quite difficult because I believe that that was before Patrick and our previous head teacher didn't quite understand. And, you know, we hear all these things about equality. They should just be playing together, but it's actually not fair. And if you ask the girls, they prefer to just play by themselves. You, you just to put the context here, you're not talking about things like gymnastics or te- your tennis. No. You're, you're, you're particularly talking about invasion games. Invasion games, yeah. They're competitive games. Competitive yeah. games where generally the better children, the more developed children, the children who have been playing that sport for the longest will generally dominate. And then it becomes less fun for the children yeah. who perhaps haven't been so, playing so for that long. So just, just to challenge you on that then, is it just a girl-boy split? I mean, there must be some boys, for example, like you mentioned the seven-year-old who hasn't done football before mm-hmm. or the six the year six girl who you talked about earlier yeah there must be some boys that are in the sort of more lower beginner yeah. group and some girls that are in the other sure. one was that i correct? just spoke about yeah. the girl who is the best football player in, yeah. in, in the school by a country mile must i add now of course these groups are interchangeable yeah um it's not this is your group you girls are going to play together for the for the rest of the year and this is your group, boys, and you're going to play together for the rest of the year. And you boys who aren't so who who aren't as good as these boys, you're going to be together for the rest of the year. These groups are all interchangeable, and it's what am I trying to get out of the lesson? Also, because sometimes it might take I'll make up a name, Johnny, who's the best um, cricket player. It might take him to work with. Um, Mark, who's the worst cricket player, it might take them two working together to to be able to raise Mark's levels up and also to give um, Johnny a level of ownership and Mm. to give him the the skills of of helping other children out. So these groups are interchangeable throughout the year and definitely throughout the lesson. Um, So no, it's not just the girls you play together and the boys you play together, but it, 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 it creates a different atmosphere when the girls know from the beginning that they're going to get a fair share of the ball yeah, and they're yeah, going to get touched yeah, on the I ball. Yeah. So my, my recollection of your PE lessons when I came to see it is that you mentioned Hayden earlier who you were working with when yeah. I came and watched you work and something that impressed me at the time um, given that I'd already spent about eight weeks watching PE um, your school and your lessons were the only place where I saw that children had different tasks to do. So, for example, you and Hayden would bring them out and maybe do something together, like mm-hmm. a tag game, mm-hmm. and then you would split them up into groups, which no, weren't noticeably boy-girl groups mm-hmm. but then when I was here. But certainly they were roughly ability-based. Mm-hmm. And then maybe if you had the ones who needed more technical practice, you did some, some more tag games with mm-hmm. some throwing a catch or whatever yeah. it might be, and then Hayden would go straight into maybe some games of tag rugby because that's where they needed to be. Mm-hmm. And it was the only lessons where I saw they were doing different things and then I also noticed, as you said, that during that lesson, you would shift some children between the groups mm-hmm. sometimes. So if you went then into some small-sided games, yeah. you would you would you would shift children around. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't sure whether, from the children's point of view, they realised what you were doing. They seemed quite happy to just to be put in groups. Mm-hmm. You said you know that the girls appreciate being 
girls generally, maybe we could just say that the sort of ones who need different things, and boys included, were appreciative that they were playing at their level, which I'm sure. But did they, were, are they aware of whether they're in a higher ability group or a lower ability group? Sometimes. Sometimes it will be unfair of me to say no, they're not, because sometimes they are, and sometimes they um, might want to play with um, the group that they consider to be the higher group. Um, yeah. But then it's about having a conversation with that with that child at some point. It's not about leaving them to feel those sad feelings or leaving them to feel like I'm not as good as X, Y, or Z. It's about having a conversation with them and an honest conversation, letting them know that this is why they're in this group. Okay, and me and you, we're going to work together in order to get you to a higher level. Let's not compare ourselves to other people. Let's compare ourselves to what we were like yesterday, to what we were like the week before. And going back to really investing your time in, in, in the children, um, that child who might be feeling a little bit upset and a little bit sad that they're in the so-called lower group um, come and find me at playtime play come and find me at lunchtime and this, what, what do you want to work on I want to work on my shooting I want to work on my passing I want to be a little bit faster alright well come and find me at playtime and that's what we're going to work on so um, it's about giving the children real knowledge of self and giving them self-awareness around what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses and letting the children also know that you just because you might consider yourself to be weak at this right now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be that way for the rest of your life. Mm. If you continue to work hard on these things and you keep practicing, you're going to be the best version of yourself. You might never be Wayne Rooney, but you're going to be the best version of yourself. Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I've got probably two more, two more questions or bits of discussion that cool. I wanted to come through. Um, I hadn't realised actually that you were doing some work alongside class teachers. Mm -hmm. So before I came here, I do this every primary school I go to. I always go on their website before I go to any yeah. primary school and I check the PE and Sport Premium document. That I, First of all, I check that it's there and it's mm -hmm. completed. <laughs> but your, your one is actually really impressive because not only is it there, but when you actually read it, it's in language that is no. understandable. Okay. And people. And so one of the things that is written there, I'll quote, you can quote me on this one, is there, is about working with teachers, increasing the ratio of activity to waiting turns in PE lessons. Mm -hmm. So is this, is this referring to the piece of work you're doing with the class teachers? I believe so, yes. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that it would also be unfair of me to ask a, um, the average class, te class um, teacher to deliver a PE lesson of the quality, or let me not even say quality, with the amount of activity going on as mine. Um, purely because I've been delivering PE for a long period of time and that's all I do every single day if, I'm, if of course, I'm, I'm, I'm not working one-to-one -one with children. Um, so in terms of um, working with class teachers, I think getting the basics right first. What are you actually teaching? Do you have an understanding of what you're teaching? Um, if not, how can I help you get a... So that's, that's sort of the planning of it. So I, I believe not, so, yeah. Not the delivery, the planning, yeah. the understanding of the... You mentioned sort of earlier the sort of lesson outcome, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I think to, I think to start with um, is just getting them to, getting the teachers to understand the game that they try the, the sport that they're trying to teach children. Um, then secondly is getting your actual equipment ready before the lesson starts. Um, if your children go out to the lesson that's already set up, you can go straight into your work. If you have to ask your TA to set up the lesson, you've already eaten into 10 minutes of your hour already, which that hour turns into 40 minutes because you have to get the children changed and then get them unchanged mm -hmm. before you know mm -hmm. you've got half an hour left. Yeah. Um, then you have to explain 
what mm-hmm. you want the, the, the children to do. That's five minutes of your time. They've got 25 minutes left. And that's not long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so having um, a, a clear structure of what you're trying to teach, um, having an understanding of the, the rules of the game, having an understanding of um, the children's abilities um, in your class, and then having your lessons set up when you go out there are really the most important things yeah. for me. And then you can start to work on how do I get everybody involved at, at, at the same time? How do I stop having line-up games? Mm. And what does it look like? How do I set up that lesson? Um, because we're asking, for me, when I'm going to teach a lesson, I can, you can give me some equipment and I'll give you a lesson straight away. But if you ask me to do that in maths, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. In English, I'm really, really going to struggle. Mm-hmm. So it's unfair of us to ask um, the average primary school teacher who, from my understanding, gets about four or five hours of, um, of, of, of time spent on PE during, their, during university. It's, it's, it's difficult for us to ask those teachers to go out and deliver an amazing PE lesson. Sure. So breaking it down um, step by step for those teachers is, is, is something that I really want to do because I can't, I, I can't um, deliver every single PE lesson um, for every single school, but I can try to, with the, with the work that I do with teachers, I can try to, to upskill, upskill those teachers. So um, just going to come back to a point you made earlier. So um, you're talking about getting all the children involved and active and included. Um, this might sound like a bit of a pernickety question, but I think it's worth exploring for for an audience of potentially class teachers who are listening. Why is that important? Why, why for you is it important that everyone's involved and everyone's included as much as they can be in that 40 minutes? Um, I believe that the uh, basis of a PE lesson should be fitness-based, where children are moving. Um, they're learning those fundamental skills. So it's as simple as um, if you're playing football, the more touches you get on the ball, you're the, 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 the more comfortable you're going to be with that football. If I have to queue up for two or three minutes to have two turns, then I'm not having the amount of touches that I actually need. So instead of having queue up, queuing up games, just if you're doing dribbling, instead of having four cones set out with five children behind each cone and they're dribbling in and out, it's as simple as get a square, get some cones, some gates within that square, give every child a ball, and then they're dribbling around for five minutes as opposed to waiting a minute for their turn. Um, and, and, and not only that, us as adults would find it difficult to... I can I can tell you this because when I'm sitting down in some meetings and I'm not involved, sometimes I'm looking out the window and sure. trying to count how yeah. many birds are flying yeah. by, <laughs> or, or looking at somebody else and thinking this is really boring. This is. So right. so a nine year old, an eight year old, a seven year old, if they're standing around not doing anything, what are they going to do? They're going to talk. Yeah, what they're, yeah, they're going to talk to the person who's next to them, which is probably going to get them in trouble. Which generally that child's going to probably have to sit out. Yeah. And then it's just a vicious circle. So children who are actively involved in a lesson will behave better. It's, sure. it's as simple as that. Not only will they behave better, they're actually um, becoming a better sports person in, in mm. whichever sport that they're playing. So it's not allowing that poor behaviour to happen in the first place. Exactly. So you, therefore you don't have to tell them off. And I think that's, that's really important. I mean, a lot of the um, teacher training, the CPD stuff I do, you know, we, we often, if we do a day's course, like the FA Primary Teachers Award, which is a day's course for primary school teachers um, we ask them at the beginning of the day what do you want to get out of the day mm. and always someone will say D 
dealing with poor behavior yeah. every time. Mm-hmm. So um, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that 99% of the time, if it's poor behavior, it's because of the way you set your session up, yeah. your lesson up. And if we can stop the poor behavior before it happens by, as you say, making them challenged, engaged, included the whole time. Mm-hmm. A lot of people then say, oh, but we haven't got enough space. Yeah. And I say, a bit like you with that example with the dribbling, mm-hmm. you don't need a lot of space. It's not like everyone needs their mm-hmm. own space. You can share exactly. the same area. And also, be- we have a... It, I realised this when I went back to my old primary school and I went in the hall and I was like, wow, this is tiny. <laughs> yes, I've done basically that. Basically a yeah, classroom. Yeah. But when I was a child, it was massive. Yeah, yeah. So our eyes are different to the children's eyes. We might feel like there's not enough space, but for the children, there's, there's, there's amples of, mm. of, of space, yeah. ample of space. So um, I, I think that it's really important for us to, even if that means altering your lessons, um, in order to ensure that all of the children are involved, and that's, that's, that's what you mm. need to do. Mm. Uh, uh, another thing that I think is really, really important, and it might seem like a little, uh, a little thing, is what does the teacher look like when they're teaching you? It's PE day. This is an excuse for you to come to school in a tracksuit. Come to school in a tracksuit. Those little things, they help. Mm. Um, we're asking our children to bring correct PE um, equipment to bring correct PE um, clothes mm. in our school we have blue tracksuit bottoms and a white t-shirt and you must have trainers but then if the teacher's wearing um, shoes and, and trousers and a shirt and a tie um, then you're not really you're, you're not really practicing what you're what, what you're preaching so I, I would suggest that all teachers come to school on PE day in some type of sportswear and that helps because for me again environment is everything create the right environment for the children and they'll thrive and what you look like and what you're wearing is part of that environment mm-hmm. how enthusiastic you are is part of that environment um, so yeah, that, yeah that's another piece okay. of advice that I, w- I would also okay. give and, and the final thing just from, from what you've said earlier about the teacher arriving and having to set up her, um, his or her activity sort of because I think for most class teachers they would arrive in the hall of the playground with the children mm-hmm. they may if they're doing this after break have a little bit of chance but their break time is an important time as well for the teacher just to have a bit of time off yeah. so often they will arrive in the area at the same time as the mm-hmm. children so what we try and teach them in the uh, in our CPD is is to set up some kind of arrival activity. Yeah. So something really, really simple, straightforward, but engaging that the children can do. So an example might be hand tennis. So in pairs, you hold right hands, in, and that's the net, and then you, you maybe have a ball or a mm-hmm. bean bag or a bib that you're throwing over your net, and you can invent your own game, for example. Amazing. So something that straight away the children can l- look at you do it, get the equipment, go and do it, and that gives you sort of five, ten minutes mm-hmm. of something they're doing that's safe and is useful and is engaging mm-hmm. and that they can have ownership of while you can then all right what equipment have i got who's here how many have i got who's in a really bad mood mm-hmm. how many haven't got their kit or yeah, whatever exactly. i need to manage set it all up right now i'm ready mm-hmm. let's let's go so and they've the, already had some ownership time yeah. and some movement time so that's taken away the excuse that a, a, a lot of people will say in terms of i haven't got time i might have just come from my lunch which is a valid excuse by the way um, especially in, in, in our school, the same space that we are delivering the PE lessons 
is the same space that your children are playing in. Mm-hmm. So how do you expect me to get my PE lesson set up when I have 200 children playing out there? Yeah. So it's a really valid excuse. So I, I don't want people to take away all the negative connotations that come with an excuse. Yeah. It's, a, it's a valid excuse. So having something like that, whereas if you create a culture and if you create habit, the children can go off and do that by themselves. Even if they know who their partner is or they get to choose a different partner each year, um, each lesson, they can go off, go into their space and, and, and play that game. So that's yeah. a really Good. Yeah, that's, that's really yeah. Good I mean, idea. there's loads of different games like that that, that, we, that we can call on. Um, great. Look, we've been talking a long time. There's um, there's there's one little bit that I wanted to, that I haven't talked to you about before, but I've got it written down here. I think it's really valid. I mean, I'm a big fan of what you do here, and I hope what we've achieved on this podcast is to sort of describe a little bit about what it's like in this school and your role here and the the impact you've made. And a lot of that, for me, comes down to the way you build relationships mm-hmm. and the effort and time and the skill that you have in building relationships with the teachers, with the head teachers, with the PE lead here, with the children certainly, and with their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, it strikes me though, you, you were a professional footballer? I yeah. So um, why, why do you, did you choose PE and school rather than the football coaching pathway, which most people like you would probably have chosen? Mm-hmm to go to through your level ones and twos, etc., into sort of academy football and, and try and do that? Why, why have you gone for being in school? Um, I always like to give the long answer. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the long answer. And that is a really tough question. And lots of my friends ask me that too. Um, when, I, when I haven't seen a teammate for five or six years and I tell them what they're doing, um, they're like, why don't you just coach football? And they don't quite understand. Um, but I, I'll say it like this. So within the schools that I deliver therapy to, I, I started off... Um, um, perhaps if I have 10 children who are on the programme, um, those 10 children will see me once a week for an hour. And I realised that, hang on a minute, that's actually, that's, that's not enough. If this child, I work with children who are self-harming, I work with children who have eating disorders. If this child has um, this type of um, difficulties going on in their life, seeing me for an hour a week, 50, 50 minutes a week, it's actually not enough. So what can I actually do to really help these children and then that's when you can deliver programs so you can bring all those 10 children in um, and you can work together three or four times a week and that's when you can you can create real change so I say that because my goal is to create real change Um, I've been a football player um, and football is the reason why I'm now I have lots of transferable skills that I've taken from football and I'll bring into my everyday life but Football doesn't give me the same feeling and sensation than the same feeling, the same feelings and sensations as when I'm in a primary school and I can really create real relationships and I get to see these children mm-hmm. every single day. I get to work with children who are in reception and then they leave at year six. I've just seen a massive journey there. Um, and I don't know what the future holds for me, but I can't see myself coaching in in coaching strictly just purely football at a football club because the culture of football doesn't it's difficult for me to say this but the culture of football turns me into a different person mm-hmm. that competitive person that we spoke yeah, about before yeah, yeah. whereas the culture the, the, and I don't believe that to be who that I don't believe that that's the core of who I am the right. core of who I am is a nurturing person and sometimes when I w- was just coaching football um I became a little bit too competitive. Yeah, that's that's very self-aware, isn't mm-hmm. it? To go on that journey to get to that level where you're, where you recognise what the environment's done to you, and your your 
um, reaction to that environment and then being self-aware enough to say actually that's not who I want to be therefore I'm going to change the environment yeah I love love football and I I used to have an Arsenal season ticket and I would go to Arsenal and I would see a man who's in a suit and a tie who's a professional person screaming and shouting at the people on the pitch (laughs) and sometimes using words that that we can't say that we can't say right now exactly and there's something (laughs) there's something there's something about football that turns people into a different person when they're watching and when they're playing football Um, and that's not the core of who I am especially if it's children playing football exactly absolutely Exactly. so to answer that question in in short it's a very it's, it's a very selfish um, answer in terms of I believe I can be the best version of myself when I'm working with children in primary schools mm. and I can make the best impact yeah. in these children's life yeah I, I think what you said there I was just responding to that in my head as you said it I was trying to listen as well but I've got this conversation going in my head and it's reminded me of something that happened when I was um, an assembly that I had when I was at school so it's a long time ago so we're talking 30 years mm-hmm. but our head of year when we left um, secondary school a horrendous secondary school um, she gave an assembly about um, finding a problem that's worthy of your life mm-hmm. and sort of saying, you know, no matter what you do, it, it has to be a problem that's worthy of your life because it's your life. It's yeah. not like, um, you know, someone else can live it. Mm-hmm. And you're, only you will know what that problem is mm-hmm. and whether that's worthy. And so for me in football, when I've worked in um, professional clubs before, I think, what problem am I trying to solve here? Does the world need more fo- good footballers? Is that really worthy of my life? Mm. The world wouldn't be any better off with better footballers. But if we're developing children to be better people, then that's a problem worth yeah, my life. Yeah, for sure. So exactly. it's, something, it's got to be something that gets you out of bed in and, the morning and, and gets you buzzing. I 100% agree. And, and, and school should be a place. Um, education hasn't changed in the last 100 years. It's pretty much the same. I believe that school should be a place where you're trying to create better human beings not just trying to foresee what they could be doing in the future. Mm. Um, and that's really my role with the PE work I do, with the therapy work I do. I've kind of made it my role in the schools that I work in to try and create better people. So, 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 so yeah, really my, my um, goal in, in life is to um, help children to, to, to go to school, to be happy um, and to return home fulfilled. I think that's that's that's, that's, that's one of my goals. It's a good good place to end, Carl. Thank, Thank you, you very Appreciate much. Appreciate it.